titled the message today, Listen to Loosen the Soil. Probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you right now, and that's okay. That is intended. So if you're thinking, what in the world is this? Well, that's okay. Just track with me and you'll get it. So listen to loosen the soil. The series on prayer we're going to be entering into over the next several weeks came to me about six months ago. I was having a meeting with Pastor Joel, who, by the way, did an outstanding uh, sermon, great word for our church last week. And, um, and so uh, it's always tough to follow <laughs> great teachers like Pastor Joel. But uh, thank God the Holy Spirit is with me as well. That's what I pray that, like Joshua, please be with me as you were with Moses, you know. And so be with me, Lord, as you were with Pastor Joel. But um, I was having a meeting with him uh, a few months back, and I think I mentioned this to some of you, and if, if I think I even mentioned it from the stage, but he, in his fifth year of church planning, um, he did a series called Relaunch, and we were in a series called Rebuild at the time, and uh, he said, what would you do differently, and you know, if you knew what you knew today into the five years that you've been doing this? And in that conversation, that, that question has just really stuck. It's like it was like sewn into me. And uh, that question was a question he asked himself uh, at year five, and we're at year five. And so it just kind of felt like, okay, Lord. And so it just began to draw some things out of me. And I, I knew fairly fast what the answer was, but I kind of sat on it for a while. And the answer was, I would turn up the knob on prayer. And it was an internal. I didn't answer him. I, I had to think about it, but I thought, Lord, I think I'd pray more. And it's not that I didn't pray, and it's not that we didn't pray, and it's not anything like that. It just, I think I'd, I'd, I just would understand the power of prayer in a church and the importance of it, uh, and how much, and not just in the beginning years, but in every year, and how much important prayer is to the body of Christ. And so I think I'd, I would go back and tell myself five years, you know, ramp up the prayer. Win the war in the spiritual before you try to win the war in the physical. You know, try to, to understand the power of prayer. And so uh, the reason I believe prayer is so important, here's why, is because praying is to the spiritual health as breathing is to physical health. I think praying uh, is like breathing. One of the first things that I, and I, this is not one of the first things, the first thing that I do when I wake up every single morning is I talk to Jesus. The first thing I do, and I'm talking the moment my, I, my heart craves to hear from Jesus. I mean, I think the first words that come out of my mouth most days are, I need you, Jesus. And, um, and it's, it's become a pattern because I have found it, it, it's like breath in my lungs. And, and I hope for you in your life, I do, I do pray this for the body of Christ all over and for this body, since this is the body that I shepherd or lead, I, I hope and I pray that somehow through this series, you would find prayer so valuable, so important that you would see it like breathing. And, and I've told you this before, if you try to hold your breath, you won't live long. And I'm convinced if you don't pray often enough, you will spiritually die very soon. And, and praying is so critical to the body of Christ. 
most counseling sessions that I've done or even been a part of on the receiving side or the giving side end up pointing to time with Jesus. If I talk to a family about something they're going through, somewhere in the answer, it's get time with Jesus. If I've been sitting in counseling sessions with people or pastors that are above me, you need to get time with Jesus. It's time with Jesus that often really brings the healing about it. A sermon can do it. Man, if like somebody came to me for counseling, I don't think I've ever told somebody, you just got to listen to me more. You know, you've got to podcast me. You've got to listen to my sermons more. I mean, the answer always gets pointed to Jesus, or at least it should, because truly he is the answer. And so I want to say this to you. Some of the biggest questions that you're asking right now is going to be answered only when you take time with Jesus. Your biggest questions to biblical questions, to marriage questions, to financial questions, to decisions you're making. The answer, I believe wholeheartedly, is going to be found when you finally sit at the feet of Jesus. As said, I want to take a few weeks and talk about you about prayer, specifically what happens when we pray. So that's what we're going to cover in this series. Uh, we're going to talk about probably where we pray, why we pray, and, and some of that will be hit on. But I want to help you understand specifically what happens when you pray. I think a lot of people don't know what happens when they pray. It's why they don't pray. So I want you to understand what happens when we pray. And today we're going to cover one of those things. But before I tell you what happens when we pray, I want to share with you a concern that I have for the body of Christ. In other words, this is kind of what wrecks my heart. This is kind of what concerns me. And it's not just concerning me about our church family, although it's concerning to me. Uh, It's also concerning, I could say, about other probably churches that I've seen or been a part of or watched or that kind of a thing. And so I think this is something that I just want to kind of raise a little yellow flag and uh, help you kind of maybe think about. Just consider the things I'm about to say to you. It has become increasingly easy for us to glorify the Sunday service more than the one we've come to serve. So I'm going to read a lot of this today because uh, I know words matter, and so um, I don't want to get some of these words wrong, and I don't want you to misconstrue what I'm saying, but I want you to let some of these thoughts maybe sink in for just a moment. That we glorify the Sunday service often more than the one that we serve. One of the most common feedbacks that church leaders get from visitors is how they love the voice of the worship leader. One of the most common feedbacks church leaders get is what they thought of the speaker. I sit in circles with hundreds of pastors around this nation. I've gotten to know many of them from all different sides of churches. And no question about it, in the body of Christ as a whole, I can't speak for every person. I can't speak for every church. I'm talking generally. Is the number one question that people come to a church looking for, they say, did you like the message? The second is, did you like the music? And the third is, did you like the kids? Nowhere in there is Jesus. And it's a concern that I have for the body of Christ. 
I think those things are fine. I think the music does matter. Trust me, you don't want me to sing up here. And I would understand why you would never want to return if I sang. So I'm, I'm, I'm for the worship and the singing. And there's no problem with great preaching and teaching. And I get that. Stuff that captivates you and holds your interest in storytelling and delivery and personality and giftings that come from communicators and preachers and teachers. I'm totally okay with that. But I have a question I want to ask you that maybe you might probe at this a little bit more and to help you understand why it's a concern to me. I want to ask you, how would you feel? What if we decided last minute and you showed up and we decided that there would be no sermon today? No music. We're just going to pray. Would you be disappointed? Would you feel like cheapened? Chances are, there's some of you, and you might resonate with this, well, that would be different. Chances are, some of you have never in your life walked into a service, and that's all you did. Because you say, I've come to hear a sermon, or I've come to hear a song. But just, just think about, what would your Sunday look like if there was no sermon and no music, what would your Sunday morning look like? Would you be confused on what to do? Would you be like, well, this is weird. As a culture, I think we've kind of adopted a method, an approach to encountering God. And it is song, 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 a little bit of talking song, sermon, and then like it's in a, a systematic way, a kind of a method or an approach, and we've built such a pattern to this that if we threw the full curveball and we said, we're just going to pray today, let's go pray. For like the first 10 minutes, you would do what you just did. Now, some of you really spiritual people who love to pray be like, oh, Jesus, here we go. And you would just start praying. And then most people would be like, come on, let's be honest. Like, you, you might be. And this is where, and if you can relate to this, if you're honest with me for a moment, this is why it's a concern to me. Because I think somewhere along the line, it has gotten really easy to glorify the sermon or the one giving it, to glorify the music or the one singing it, and not glorify your creator. Here's how I know this. To be potentially true and have some validity to it. In a typical Sunday service that you go to in America, for the most part, it's an hour and to an hour and a half. I mean, there's a wide range, but that's common. I know for some of you sit in churches that were like three hours and four hours, but for most uh, contemporary churches today, non-denominational churches, churches, for, 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 for most, it's an hour to an hour and a half. And in that hour, hour and a half, you've got about 20 to 30 minutes of music, and then you've got about 30 to 40 minutes of preaching for the most part. That's pretty common average. Where's prayer? We sneak it in, the transitions. Have you noticed? Just kind of shove it in. And then sometimes we leave it at the back end. It's amazing to me how many times I've seen people say, we're going to come up and invite prayer time. And no one comes. 
And this is where I've got to be honest as your pastor. And I'm not beating you up. I'm just like talking with you about this because I just want to share what I think like a little bit of God's heart and the Father's heart with you today. I just, I just want you to consider this for a moment. We can have people down front ready to pray with you and not one of you comes as if like none of you have a prayer request or something you want to take to God and join with another brother or sister in Christ. And you don't understand that where two or three agree upon something, it'll be done for them. And the power of the presence of God when you join in prayer with people. So why is it that it's so hard to pray? Why, why does that feel so kind of like, I don't know, what has happened to prayer in our churches? Why do you think that is? I think one of the reasons is because it's so powerful, it's so important It's the one thing the enemy wants to take away the fastest. You could sing songs and listen to sermons all day long. Satan could care less about your church attendance. He does not care whether or not you sit there and sing songs. He doesn't care if you listen to a sermon. It doesn't bother him one bit. But if you start communicating with Jesus, now I have a problem. In fact, fact, Satan, let me just... Think about this. Satan could care less if you talk to Jesus. Satan does not care if you talk to Jesus. You can talk to him all day long. Just don't listen to him. Prayer is 90% listening, 10% talking. And yet, we have come to think that prayer is what we say. Where is that in the Bible? There's, there's communication, yes, but it's a two-way street. So I want to talk to you about prayer. I think prayer is so essential to the church. We just need to make sure that the reason we gather is to glorify our God, and everything we do is to bring Him glory. That's what I want you to understand today as a church body. Acts 2 tells us the reason the church gathered. Acts 2.46 says, They worshiped together temple each day. They met in homes, the Lord's Supper, and they shared the meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God. Everything they did was to bring God glory and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The church's central purpose was to bring glory to God. I simply think we need to be careful not to glorify the service more than the one that we're serving. Luke records for us in Acts 1.14 what the church was doing just before the very first church service ever existed on the planet Earth. Just before the first New Testament church began, I want you to think about, consider here, what the church was doing before it ever launched. Verse 12 of Acts 1 says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem for the Mount of Olives. This is after the ascension of Jesus. It says a distance of about a half a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs of, uh, to the house where they were staying. And then it says different names, and it gives all the names of those who were there. And they all met together, and they were constantly, constantly, constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Jesus launched the church not while people were preaching, but while they were praying. The church launched out of a prayer gathering. 
people praying can do wonderful things. My point is, I believe the focus of our churches should be at minimum as equal to prayer that it is to preaching. So I'm not going to preach anymore. We're just going to pray today. Go. See, gotcha. You're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do we do now? Who's going to step up? Who's going to say something? Who's going to talk? Who do I talk to? What do I do? Like just that little bitty moment of tension in the room just occurred. For some of you, I'm sure it did. For some of you, you got really excited. (sighs) But how many of you, honestly, just by a show of hands, just curious, got a little nervous, got a little weird right then. Just like, okay, what do we do now? This is what I'm talking about. In the gospel, according to Mark, it says this. It says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over tables and money changers and the chairs. He throws over tables. He throws some whips around. He maybe does some yelling. I don't know. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. It's a marketplace where they're buying and selling goods and taking advantage of people. And he said to them, the scriptures declare that my temple will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. The word prayer means the place set apart or suited for offerings, prayers to God. It's a place set apart to pray. That's what this temple is supposed to be. And yet you've turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus cleared the temple because the purpose of the church had changed from prayer to prophets. The church had become a place more about prophets than about prayer. How can we just get more ching? How can we increase the profits? And what, what Jesus said is supposed to be a place where you pray. He didn't even say, it, he didn't say, it's a house of preaching. It's a house of praising song. house of prayer. So you go, man, what's, what is it to pray then? How do we get this prayer thing right? That's why I want to help you understand why praying is so important. Prayer is one of the central reasons God established the church. Look back in Acts 2.42. All the believers devoted themselves to apostles' teaching. Yes, there is good teaching. Fine. There should be teaching in the church. I believe it. And there should be fellowship and chili cook-offs and fall fests. Yes, absolutely. And sharing in meals and communion time and having fun and doing life together. Absolutely. But I'm saying to you and I'm suggesting to you, an equivalent to all of those things must be prayer. It's, it's an addition to those things. And all I'm saying to you is the concern is that maybe it's been shoved to the side a little too lightly. Maybe we've got to kind of bring it back up as just as equivalent to all of the other things. 
I actually believe even if there was no sermon and no music, there could still be an incredible Sunday service. Dare I say, dare I say, maybe even the best services or best moments of my personal walk with Jesus and even ministry moments have been not in moments of preaching, but in moments of prayer with other believers. Prayer. I've seen more moves of God happen as a result of just a group of people praying than I've ever seen out of my preaching. I've seen a lot of, you know, cheering and applauding and cool things and all oh, that spoke to me. But real genuine moves of God, I've, if I had to kind of line them up, I'd say more moves of God have happened as a result of prayer than of my preaching and my ministry. Yet many of us, including myself, prioritize in our lives. We have a hard time praying. Praying is so difficult for so many of you. If you battle prioritizing prayer, can you lift both hands for me? And I'm raising my hands too. Look at this. Okay, most of us, right? It's just true. Like, some of us are really good at it, you know? But for most of us, it's like, to become a priority, it's like, gosh, I just don't get enough time with Jesus. I need you. I know I need you. I know I need you. I know I teach you. I need you. I need you. I need you. If you've ever said, I need you. I need you. I know I need you. I know I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. And we say that all the time, and yet it becomes so hard. Listen, if prayer didn't make a difference, it wouldn't be so hard. In fact, prayer makes all the difference. That's why it's so hard to find the time to do it. But you have to understand that prayer is like breathing for the physical body. It's a necessity for your spiritual well-being. Luke writes in Luke 6:12, one day Jesus, or one one day soon afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray. I love this line. He prayed to God all night. For a devout Jew, they would pray typically three to five times in a day. Morning, midday, and evening, and sometimes in between. If prayer didn't make a difference, Jesus wouldn't have done it. If there's one person on the planet who doesn't have to pray and can still figure it all out, it's Jesus. <laughs> much more do you think you need to pray? He prayed all night. And he had all the answers already within himself. Yet, Jesus had to pray. That's enough for me, should be enough for every follower of Jesus to say, well, then therefore I should too. It's a necessity for me if it was a necessity for Jesus. Evidently, Jesus believed so much in prayer, he prayed all night. If prayer didn't make a difference, Jesus wouldn't have done it. Prayer has the capacity to change everything. How much more, how many things are maybe unchanged because you don't pray? They're just waiting to change or be moved or to be impacted. And the one thing that's missing is you praying. I want to read Matthew 13, 1 through 23. 
and then I'm going to give you one thing from it. I could give you a whole series on this passage of scripture, but I don't have the time to do that. So I'm just going to give you one thing to take away with you today about prayer. I'm going to read Matthew 13. I'm going to kind of fly through these verses, and then we're going to come to the backside of this, and you're just going to have to take one element of this teaching with you today. So I'm not going to try to overwhelm you. Matthew 13, we'll start with verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and he sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, there's a farmer, and he went out to plant some seeds. He scattered them across his fields, and some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Verse 5, other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns, and they grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Verse 9, anyone with ears to hear should listen. I love the word should, implying not everyone does. Most of you have ears, but you still don't listen. So Jesus is like, if you have ears, I hope you're listening to what I'm teaching. And then he adds on, and to understand. So it's one thing to listen, and I heard you, but I didn't understand you. Is there any married Family, couples in here, husbands, wives, okay, okay, awesome, great, thank you, okay, for your participation, okay, okay, some of you are excited about marriage, and some of you are like, for now, okay, so, uh, do, 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 do any of you struggle in your communication? Anybody struggle with communication issues? Yeah, okay. You ever, you ever, you ever said this to your spouse? You're not listening to me. Come on. You're not listening to me? You didn't hear me? How about that? You didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. That's not what I said. Right? That's not what I said. That is what you said. That's not what I said. Anybody relate to these kinds of conversations between you and your children or coworkers? How about a boss? Think about all the times miscommunication happens, right? You heard me, but you didn't hear me. Right? So Jesus says, you, you can hear me, but you're not understanding me. So you got ears, but you can't hear me because you're not understanding me. So the goal, Jesus wants you to understand what he's saying. To comprehend it, to take it in. Verse 10, his disciples came and they asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to these people? Like, well, why do you use parables for? And then Jesus answers them. He says, well, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not 
A secret, by the way, is a mystery. It's a spiritual truth understood by divine revelation. Did you hear that? Did you understand that? Okay. It's a spiritual truth that is only understood through divine revelation. Did you hear that? Do you understand it? Some people hear my parable. I'm speaking in such a way that they will not be able to understand what I'm saying unless I reveal it to them. Why do you speak in a way that people can't understand you? That's what they're asking. Why do you speak some things that no one can understand? Nope, nope. There are some who can understand, but only those who will position themselves to receive divine revelation of the truth that I just said. So see, not everybody understands what I'm saying because they don't receive the divine revelation to understand what I'm trying to teach them. Verse 12, Jesus continues, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So here's what the parable does. The parable conceals truth from those who are either too lazy to think or too blind to see. In other words, Jesus puts the responsibility fairly and squarely on the individual. He reveals truth to him who desires truth, and he conceals truth from him who does not wish to see it. Did you hear that? Jesus taught in parables because he wanted to excite and bring curiosity to his followers, knowing that those who sought the truth would find it, but it would be hidden from those who didn't seek it. What does this have to do with prayer? Everything. Verse 13. That is why I use parables. I use parables to bring people, my real followers, to sift through those who are my real followers, to, to, to kind of expose the real followers. Because the reality is I want people to understand me and know me. But they can't understand me and know me if I just give them everything all at once. So what I'll do is I'll give enough things to be curious about to bring them back into me so I can reveal more divine revelation to them. But if they don't come to me, then they really don't want to know me. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say to you, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. Verse 15. For the hearts, now he shifts to the hearts. The hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. They've closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand. And they, watch this, cannot turn to me. And this is the kicker, to let me heal them. 
All I'm trying to do is heal you and you won't let me because you never come to me. I'm just trying to heal your soul and set you free. But they don't want that. That's why I speak in parables. Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes, disciples, because they see and your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. And then Jesus explains the parable to them. Why does he explain the parable to the disciple? Why not to the crowd? Here's why. You ready? Here is the great theology behind this. I mean, this is, you're going to be like, wow, that guy's a great teacher. I mean, that was phenomenal. Here is the reason why Jesus answered them about the parable and not everybody else. In other words, most went home or many went home, didn't understand anything. Jesus would be like, hey, let me explain that to you. Jesus only explained it to the people who asked him to explain it. Did you catch that wonderful Whoa. In other words, Jesus only gave the answer to those who were willing to sit and ask and then listen. Well, I want Jesus to give me all my answers, but I won't give him time to tell me why. Well, then he can't tell you why. Okay, we've got to pick up the pace. Verse 18, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. In other words, I'm about to reveal to you a spiritual truth to you so that you can learn the divine, watch this. I'm about to reveal a spiritual truth to you that you can't understand without my involvement. The only way you get divine revelation is by having someone divine reveal it to you because you're not divine. So in order to get divine revelation, you have to bring in the divine. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches it away. In other words, this is a spiritual thing. The seed that was planted in their hearts. I'm trying to do something in their heart. Heal them. I'm trying to heal the heart. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have the problems and they're persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God, but they're too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, and so there's no fruit is produced. But the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times that had been planted. If a plant is to produce fruit, it has to have two things. Good soil and exposure to light. Most plants crave as much sun as they can get during the day so their leaves can perform photosynthesis, which is the process by which plants use sunlight and water to produce food. So if photosynthesis is, it requires plants to live, then it follows without sunlight, a tree will die. I was Google searching trees that don't need light. I didn't find one. So even if your tree gets some sunlight, it may not be enough exposure for it to thrive. 
The same is true for followers of Jesus who produce fruit. They must not only have pure hearts, that is, they're ready to receive and obey God's word, but they also have to have proper exposure to light. John 8, 12 says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads you to life. So you can't follow Jesus unless you're being led by the light. In order to be led by the light, you have to know what the, where the light is going. Matthew 13, 19 times the word here is used. Here's the point. Hearing God is essential to producing spiritual fruit in your life. If you want God to shape you and mold you into the person he wants you to be, you will have to hear him. If you want to accomplish his will for your life, you will have to hear him. Prayer is not talking to God, it is talking with God. I wish I could change the way you think about prayer today, and I thought about titling the message, prayer is not talking to God. It's talking with God. You have been taught wrong if you thought that prayer is where you talk to God. Prayer is not talking with God, or to God, it's talking with God. It's not talking to God. You don't say your prayers. That is so wrong. You have been misinformed. Say your prayers. And it tells a child, just tell Jesus and then don't worry about anything else. No, if you're going to teach your child to do something that's going to help them in their life, let them hear Jesus. Think about changing the way you talk to your children or what you were taught in your life. Hey, say your prayers. No, no, no. Ready? Go hear God. Go hear God. Can I tell you today? Go hear God. Go. Go hear God. Go. Go hear God. What is God saying to you? Go. Go hear God. Each night when I lay my kids down, I don't say, say your prayers. You know what I tell them? I say, go talk with Jesus. Go. Go talk with Jesus. Why? Because there's going to be a day I'm not here and I want them to hear from their Heavenly Father more than they hear from me. Go. Go talk with Jesus. Now get out of here. Go. Go talk with Jesus. Jesus said, "Is the good soil those who hear and understand his word that produce the fruit. Let me illustrate this to you the best way I can. And I want to just, you write this down in your notes, okay? In prayer, we listen so that God can loosen the soil of our hearts. I know that's a long, not a beautiful line that you can remember, but just write it down. In prayer, we listen so that God can loosen the soil of our hearts. This whole thing about Matthew 13 and 1 through 23 is about the loosening of the soil in our hearts. God is trying to heal the hearts of humanity, and yet the people don't give time to get divine revelation. So I want to show you a picture that God gave me. I feel like the Holy Spirit kind of showed me, revealed to me through this, that I hope helps you today. See prayer for what it really is. The, the story that he told was about a farmer. And this is the best way that I can illustrate prayer to you. So I brought, and I, and I, I know that you may not be able to see me, but they got this on camera. So, um, so I've got, uh, I'm going to get down on the knees because it's kind of like a gardener, you know, a farmer. And I brought this little bitty plant from my wife's house. And she doesn't always take the kids best care of plants. So this is like really dry soil. There's like no water and it's, we're not dealing with a lot here. But uh, so, so she gave me this and I was like, this is a perfect 
perfect, Carissa. Thank you so much. And this is like super dry soil, like really firm. So before, I, if I were to try to, to plant, you know, a tree, you know, or a, some kind of fruit producing thing. Did you see how that, quickly that, I mean, it's terrible. But uh, if I, if I uh, wanted to plant something new in here, I'd have to loosen the soil first. I, I can't plant anything new unless I first loosen the soil. So if I take this empty one and I say I want to replant this, I first take this out. If I were planting a, a plant, see it's still in the shape of like, it hasn't even expanded roots or anything. It's, so you have no hope unless I help you out here. So I'm going to take some soil and I want to show you a picture of what prayer is, okay? This is what prayer does for your soul. You ready? This is what God does in prayer. And I'm tossing over the soil. This is what prayer does for your soul. I'm telling you now, if you don't have healthy soil and get out the weeds, eventually they'll choke out everything that God wants to do in your life. You know that pain your dad caused you? I got to get it out of you. Because if I don't, it'll come back and choke out the joy I gave you today. I've got to take that pride out of your soul because I'm trying to turn you into a humble man. So I've got to get the pride out. Some of you got some rocks. Something a coach said, a teacher said to you, and it still eats at you, gnaws at you. So I've got to get that out of you because if you don't let me get that out of you, even when I try to plant my word inside of your heart, the bitterness will so... Are you following me? Are you... Do you understand the teaching? The bitterness in your heart will just eventually choke out. I know I want you to get married too. I know you're, you're getting married. I know I want you to get married. But the problem is if I send you a, a, a spouse right now, the offense that you carried on from your previous relationships, that's still in you. And so all you're going to have is the same problem with a new spouse. So let's get that out. You know what you want and what I want? We want just a big, big tree to grow and have fruit. But you know what God says? Not yet. You could be 70 years old and still haven't had God's purpose planted in your life because you haven't spent enough time with him yet to get all the junk out. See, like this, this stick and these weeds. Do you hear the teaching? So, God says, let me loosen the soil in your life. You know why Jesus makes his disciples come back and ask him first? It's because it's where he loosens the soil and he prepares the soil. And to the degree that your soil is will determine the things that God wants to do through you in your ministry and in your life and in your children. But I've got to prep the soil first. 
So what Satan wants to do is rob you from time of allowing God to prep the soil. Because if you get healthy soil, you get healthy plants. You get a healthy life, a healthy spiritual life. I hope you're tracking this. So if I just allow God's word to get planted in you, you could show up to church and you could sing songs and you can hear a word, but don't deal with that offense. Don't deal with that offense because Satan knows if it stays in the soil, eventually it'll choke out what God's trying to birth in you. So God prepares the soil. And then when he's ready, and when the the heart of your soil, the soil of your heart is, is right, the soil of your heart is right, then he can begin to plant something in you. And then... God being God and who he is begins to water that in you and grow you and turn you into the person that he wants you to be so that he can watch you grow and fulfill the purposes of his life. Prayer is so hard because Satan doesn't care if you pray. He, he cares if you hear what God is saying to you. So stop saying prayers. And start hearing God. So that the soil of your heart can be loosened. You know what I found prayer to be? Time where God chisels me. And he just turns my heart over and over and over and over again. And he sifts through all the mess But each time, I get a little closer to healing. Isn't that what Jesus told the disciples, the reason for the parable? Because I'm trying to heal you. I'm trying to heal you. I'm just trying to heal you. And you won't let me. Because you don't take time with me to let me heal you. I hope today, somehow in this talk, that I've encouraged you. I want you to know this today, that God doesn't just want you to live a faithful life. He wants to empower you to live a fruitful life. Prayer prepares the soil of our hearts for the fruit of God that he wants to produce through you. I want to invite you to pray. And just close your eyes right where you are. And I want you to pay attention to something as well. On your seat, or when you came in, there's a note card that says, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? If you're online, you can just write that question down. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? And I just want to give you a moment here to pray. And I want to invite you to hear God. And so, I'm going to leave you with that. One of the things that I do is I write down what I believe God is speaking to me sometimes. So take the note card and go ahead and write down what you think God is speaking to you. Take a pen and write the question out the question you want to ask him, go ahead and write it out and then trust that he actually wants to answer you. Ask him. Take the step of faith. This is what Satan does not want. 
He doesn't want you to ask and then listen. You can ask, just don't listen. But today, you're going to ask and an answer will be given to you because the Father wants to answer you. Be honest before the Lord. What does he need to take out of your heart? What's he trying to deal with? Listen to him. Listen to him. Your faith is never wasted. So if you struggle hearing God, just write in faith of what you think he might be saying. Jesus, we've come to hear from you today. Nothing more. We need nothing more. Just you.